Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of The Living Spirit, which shares stories of awakening, spiritual communication, healing energies, miracles, and a guide to soul development and soul maturity. Today I welcome Tricia Nelson, author of Heal Your Hunger, which offers seven steps to understand and end emotional eating. Our physical challenges uh, most especially lead us to our spiritual talents and gifts and also offer ways to master our physical and energetic emotional needs. Hello, Tricia, and thank you for joining us on Healing from Within. It is such a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Cheryl. Tricia, as listeners of Healing from Within have come to know, that by listening to the intimate experiences and insights of my guests, there is a way to understand and to utilize events, no matter how challenging, and to explore the experience to lead us to a better outcome and improve life, enjoy it more, and find peace and contentment in the moment. It is possible and probable with the right attitude and tools to heal on a physical emotional and spiritual level in today's episode of healing from within trisha nelson who lost 50 pounds uh, by first identifying and healing the root causes of her emotional eating and has spent over 30 years researching the hidden causes of the addictive personality and food addiction is one of the toughest addictions uh, and is symptomatic of deeper issues in 25 years of helping Americans upgrade their diets, Tricia has seen how many misconceptions there are and how overweight individuals harm their physical and emotional state of being, often causing more pain, loneliness, and self-sabotaging views that limit their perception and potential to thrive. Trish, I always love to ask my guests because I get the most amazing answers, to think back to their childhood and remember a person, place, event, or interest that may have provided a clue to the work and lifestyle they would focus on as an adult, because I personally believe we are born with certain issues uh, that we wish to explore and learn on an inner soul level, and uh, it begins very early. For the no question about it. Yeah. So think back for a minute. It's a great question. I, um, in high school, had a really neat experience. I was um, president of my class in junior, uh, junior, in my junior year in high school, and then I was president of my school my senior year. And I wasn't much for academics. I wasn't very into studying. <laughs> I got by. I got, I got okay grades, but I. Um, you know, I I didn't really enjoy it. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And what I ended up doing, because I had this, you know, slate position of authority on campus, I um, I started a lot of different fun initiatives in my school. Like, I noticed that people were, um, you know, doing sort of degenerative things on the weekends, like drinking and doing drugs. And I thought, well, let's create some entertainment that would really, really make things fun. And I would organize ski trips up to the mountains, and I'd organize different things. And I went to a private school, and we were there all the time, all year, you know, seven days a week we were at school. 
And um, and so at night, created these fundraisers where we would sell things and make money for our class. And I did a lot of fun things. I, I did this whole thing around Valentine's Day, this messengers of love, and I got a, got a whole shipment of carnations where we could each uh, secretly give something to somebody else and have it delivered. So a lot of fun, creative things. And you know, I did all that just because I needed to, I needed the outlet, and I didn't like school, and I didn't like sports, which I was I was supposed to, I, I was they made us do sports as well. And you know, I was fat. I was an emotional eater and I was 50 pounds overweight by the time I was 21 years old. So I, you know, I, I didn't like sports. I didn't like running, <laughs> running the way that made me run. So I did these creative outlet, you know, things that were really fun and they enhanced people's lives. Like they, they enhanced people's lives and I would spend a lot of time on the phone and sort of organizing and, and doing these projects. But when I look back, Cheryl, at, you know, when I see now my life and the way it is and the programs that I create for emotional eaters to put an end to emotional eating and the, I'm having a retreat this weekend, a Heal Your Hunger retreat at my home, you know, I see the beginnings of that sort of project-oriented uh, life where I just wanted to make life better for other people. And I, yeah. of course, wasn't doing it doing it around emotional eating at the time, but I definitely see the seeds of what has become just a really satisfying yeah. Uh, work life. That was your destiny. You were born with that desire to improve the condition of your own life and other people. And you also said, I've read your book, uh, you had a lot of fear. And uh, even though you came from a good home, went to a private school, right, and traveled, you liked Maine. Yeah. I, I like Maine too. I've been there many times. But you said inside where you lived, you were hurting. And now, of course, this yeah. wasn't always on a conscious level. But under that happy facade, uh, you were burying something uh, uh, that was a hurtful experience that you have. And many people who have addictions, who have pain, do have things that have not surfaced and uh, that are causing, whether it's eating or drinking or drugs whatever it is, they are trying to go from a place of pain to a place of well-being and happiness. And would you like to tell us about what you were hiding? Absolutely. Yeah, no no question about it. So even though I was having fun doing those creative things, I was definitely suffering on another level because I was fat and I hated being fat. I hated this big roll I had on my tummy and I would scrunch it up and want to slice it off and uh, I would imagine getting some terrible disease which would make me automatically lose weight without my trying and, you know, these very, very strong, violent thoughts about my own body um, because I was just so out of control and I couldn't, there's nothing I could do about it. You know, I couldn't diet for any length of time. I couldn't exercise. As I said, I hated to exercise. So, um, so I was carrying a lot of pain and what I've discovered in my 30 years of, of helping people with um, eating, you know, disordered eating and emotional eating is that there's three main drivers of emotional eating. And this was certainly the case for me. And I call it the PEP test. And PEP is an acronym. And the first P stands for painkiller. So I was using excess food as a painkiller, not just mm-hmm. excess food, but all- you know, all the ooey-gooey, chewy foods. I, w- I was using those foods really to anesthetize pain, both childhood pain and, you know, just pain that I created in my life, you know, chaotic relationships or guilt or, you know, different different things that I would do that I didn't feel good about. Um, I wanted to anesthetize that pain, and food was an amazing way to do it. That's why I liked carbs. You know, I wasn't binging on salad, you know. I was binging on things that would really kill the pain. And so... 
that was one thing. And the, and the E in the PEP test stands for escape. So I was wanting to escape. I hated feeling uncomfortable feelings. And at all costs, I would want to escape those feelings. And, again, there's no real better way than to get your favorite foods, you know, the ice cream and the brownies and the cookies and sit in front of the TV with a – now we have bingeable TV shows – um, and just check out. You know, I just wanted to check out. And that was really on account of fear. You had mentioned earlier um, uh, from my book, I talked a lot about fear. And I did. Even though I had a good childhood, even though there was no real problem in my life, ostensibly, I had tremendous fear. I was a worry wart and I had a racing, you know, mind and I awfulized about the worst case scenario all the time. And so, you know, I wanted to escape my head and what was going on between the, my ears. Um, and, the, and the last P in the PEP test stands for punishment. And this is something a lot of people don't realize is that emotional eaters uh, and, and addicts in general, and this PEP test stands really can work for all addictions, but I was punishing myself with food, and I did with alcohol as well. Um, I was really beating myself up with that food and not realizing it because I thought of it as a reward. But I'd always go too far. I'd always eat too much. I'd feel stuffed and sick. And then I'd do these drastic things to try to get rid of, you know, the calories that I ate. So that's really on account of guilt. I mean, I was talking about the pep test because those are the three driving emotions, the pain, the fear, and the guilt. But it wasn't you who were guilty. It was whoever perpetrated yeah, that but, on you but i know you felt maybe you were part of it or had shame or whatever and there was no one to talk about did you eventually talk to someone about it well anybody who experiences sexual abuse usually does feel some sort of kind of guilt because especially if you're young and you do wonder if you caused it um and then i will say that it's very typical for people who have had sexual abuse, you know, perpetrated on them, it's very uh, typical for them to then have a sexual compulsion that yes. stems from that, which I did. I was a compulsive masturbator after that and had tremendous guilt. That was a big, dark secret on top of the sexual abuse that I experienced. So, um, you know, there's no question that that plays a part in it. And it is an incredibly staining experience for anyone who's, who experiences it. And I did, it's very t- typical for people who have sexual abuse to gain weight and use yes. food, you know, uh, to, to cover that up. And no question about it, that's where I went with it. You know, we gain weight so we feel unattractive, so we are we shut down our sexuality, um, and then it's like we're out of commission. But we're not really because we have that uh, sex obsession even still. You know, anything we, we try to tamp down, it's what, the reason why the priests were so, you know, uh, just did what they did is because they were told that, you know, they shouldn't be sexual, and there, lo and behold, you know, they're acting out every which way. So um, I certainly, uh, for myself, you know, when we think our sexuality is bad, we end up, you know, being promiscuous or being, you know, obviously um, inappropriate in different mm. ways and a lot so many people experience that. So that had a huge part of the torture I had mentally and emotionally and spiritually that I was food, using food to anesthetize. Yeah, and you wrote, I, I, I know now that these distractions were in themselves addictions and the real issues were within me, not the outside world. Right. Yeah. So let's go on to 99% of all diets fail. Why do you think that is? Well, it's so funny. It gets overlooked all the time. Everybody, it seems to, anybody, any dieter has heard that, you know, uh, statistic, um, and yet they'll continue to diet. It's like we get seduced 
into thinking it's going to work this time. Like 99 out of 100 times it doesn't work, but this time it'll work. And and it's just because of the desperation of feeling like we need to lose weight and we don't want to be in this body anymore. And yet people keep trying something that that's broken and doesn't work. And and the reason is, and you know, and from my experience is because of emotional eating. So people are trying to go on a diet, control their food, you know, weigh and measure what they eat, you know, do this the exercise program. They do everything but deal with really how they got overweight in the first place, which is from out-of-control eating. And if that's not addressed, sure, we can all diet, you know, for one week or two weeks, but we'll always bust out and end up overeating again. And that's because we do have these underlying emotions that aren't addressed, you know. And if you take, I mean, to sort of think about it, if you take a cancer patient in the hospital you know they have a cancer and they have pain and so they're given morphine at in the hospital and maybe they're even given a little um, clicker where they can control the amount of morphine they have if they're not out of it but they they use that morphine to control the pain but you don't consider that they have a morphine problem they have a cancer problem yes you know and mm-hmm. and yet you know when we diet we're doing the same thing we're treating the morphine and not the cancer you know Absolutely. how do we how do we get there in the first place? That's what needs to be addressed. And that's so overlooked because we just get seduced by this idea of, oh, losing weight, fitting to my genes, no matter what the statistics are, no matter what our own experience. I mean, people for decades have been dieting, and yet they'll try yet another diet. It's like that quick fix mentality right. that really doesn't fix anything. It doesn't work. Now, you give some wonderful facts in the book, and let's give it to our listeners. Close to 70% of American adults are either overweight or obese. That's out of 10 people and each Mm -hmm. year about 45 million people in this country go on a diet u.s consumers spend 109 million every day on diet and weight loss products annually weight loss is a 60 billion dollar industry and right now on amazon there are 65,000 weight loss books and 365,000 fitness books and yet 98 percent of all diets fail now the truth is what you're saying here in your book hits on the reason that people all over our country are struggling with drugs and alcohol and sex abuse and they have pain pain from their earliest childhood remembrances uh, lack of love lack of someone just supporting them for who they were and having expectations very often uh, that are not appropriate for the age level or for the lifestyle or not appropriate because it's coming from someone else and a person has to find what makes them tick and what brings them happiness and joy. So this this goes not, not only for eating disorders, this goes for many of the other addictions that we're talking about right now. And you also say uh, you should be reading this book not only if you're overweight and have issues with food or weight, but uh, if you grapple with other, you know, you give binge eating and and other uh, issues that you should be reading this book if you have. So can you tell us something about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's a really tough situation. I mean, people lose control of food, you know, I mean, it's 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 a sad thing, but it's, you know, I consider 
really, Cheryl, that we're all on the spectrum. Like, you know, absolutely. That's the truth. There's no (laughs) one on this planet who is not dealing with a soul and spiritual issue that causes problems in the physical world. But what I was getting at there was you mentioned if you've ever grappled with binge eating, restricting, purging, regurgitation, constant dieting, food obsession, or exercise fanaticism, any of those things, it's all symptomatic of other problems and we've got to get to that so what is emotional eating so emotional eating a lot of people think of is just you know eating too much you know a lot of people you know because i say i'm an emotional eating expert people come to me and tell me their story and i'll oftentimes have somebody say oh i don't binge so i'm obviously not an emotional eater but that's really not necessarily true you know some people emotionally they don't binge at all you know, they may not even overeat, and yet if they're choosing, you know, heavy, dense, high-calorie foods, like they prefer potatoes over broccoli or bananas over, you know, uh, berries, um, they're, they're, they're looking for starchier, heavier, mm-hmm. more sugar-laden foods. That's for emotional reasons. So they, can, they don't have to be a binger in order to be an emotional eater, in order to depend on food for emotional reasons. And even an under-eater, somebody who is anorexic or not, totally anorexic, but at least very restrictive and controlling with their food, um, that person's doing that for emotional reasons. They're emotionally eating, you know, however much or how little they eat, it's driven by their emotions. And so it's really important for people to know that really we're all emotional eaters. I mean, I think God made us to like like food, you know, in an emotional way because that way we would subsist as a planet, but it really depends on how far you go. So like I said, it's really a spectrum and on the high end of the spectrum, is food addiction, like all out. And that was me. I mean, I could pack away 5,000 calories in a sitting, and then I'd feel disgusting, you know, and gain five pounds. Um, but that's me. That was a, I was a food addict. Not everybody gets that far out of control. No. They can pull it back and exercise, but it's just yeah. where you are on the spectrum. But you put it another way. Emotional eating is using food to meet needs beyond physical nourishment, And these needs are social needs, emotional needs, mental needs, and spiritual needs. Yeah. So we have to address all these mental needs. If you've got an overactive or racing mind or have fear, emotional needs. If you use food for comfort and companionship, social needs, maybe feeling lonely and not knowing how to make changes in your life. And spiritual needs. We all have a deep craving for meaning, for an understanding of our greater purpose and a feeling of oneness. Uh, So uh, there's a great deal going on when we're dealing with people who want to understand food, how to use food in a healthy way, and how to live a healthier life. So let's go on. You met someone who was very helpful to you, and uh, his name is Roy Nelson. So do you want to tell us something about what you learned from him and how that helped you tremendously? You bet. I I was, you know, I was doing everything I could to try to lose weight. I did diets, I did lotions and potions and pills and um, 12-step programs and uh, eating disorders therapy. I did a lot of different things, but uh, I didn't get, you know, I didn't lose the weight. I just kept yo-yoing with my weight. Um, But what I learned from Roy is he's a spiritual healer, and he really taught me that my problem has nothing to do with food. You know, the food was the symptom. And that was music to my ears because I think I knew it in my heart, 
but everybody's always trying to put you on a diet or trying yeah. to get you to control your food, and so I just kept doing that. Well, that's really what the doctors that. do and the exercise therapist and the physical therapist, right. They, yeah. they go that route, but what you had to be told was the truth, and it was that yeah. simple. And uh, you have a three-meal magic plan. That's very important and uh, one of the best things in the book. And uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly uh, that if people can start to have a practical way to approach this and also reach deep within themselves, even if they need therapy to do it, because we can't do all these things alone, or mm-hmm. energy therapies like what I do. I do Reiki energy healing. There's, of course, cranial sacral. There are many different energy, energy modalities that can help a person get in touch with their inner being and find out what's really causing the problems. Uh, so I agree that this approach that you give, the three-meal magic plan, is a magical plan. It's simple and it's really good. So you want to tell us something about that? You bet. It's, you know, it's it's not a diet, and I think what's so important no, people know is that mm-hmm. what this is, is this is a tool to help somebody access their emotions. You see, we're never going to know why we're eating unless we stop overeating. So this is to facilitate really getting more in touch with one's emotions. And what three-meal magic is, it's eating three meals with nothing in between, which is surprisingly hard for an emotional eater because we're used to snacking and grazing throughout the day, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're into seafood. We see it and we eat it, you know. And so um, this is a way for somebody to have some boundaries around their food and literally just eat three meals. And they have to be healthy meals, otherwise you're going to get hungry and are going to want to eat between the meals, but but not overeat. And what happens is, Cheryl, it's the best way to really know whether somebody is physically hungry or emotionally hunger, hungry. Because emotional hunger can really mask itself as physical hunger. And to this day, I mean, I'm 30 years into doing this work with people I still get fooled by it like sometimes it'll be 10 o'clock in the morning and then I'll feel like oh I'm so hungry what can I eat and then I have to have this whole conversation with myself and I'm like Trisha you had breakfast just a couple hours ago you're probably not as starving as you think you are right and that's and that's then why maybe you drink so water then maybe then you just have yes. a nice glass of water <laughs> And and that's actually true. Is it, you know, thirst can mask itself as hunger as well. But what's really important to know is three meal magic will help inform us about whether it's physical or, or uh, you know emotional. And if I've had you know breakfast two hours before, I can pretty much reason with myself that I'm not as hungry as I think I am. And that way, I can start like doing a little digging, like okay, what's going on then? Like because this must be emotional because I am actually quite well fed. And that way, I can start looking at what emotions are going on. And usually, there's something I don't want, I'm trying to avoid. Like there's some emotion mm. I don't want to. And so that that just that structure of the three meals helps me know in between my meals uh, that something's going on, and then I can start digging into what that is. But if I'm eating all throughout the day, I'm pretty much not feeling anything, you know, and then I can't ever get to what it is that's driving my eating. Absolutely. All right, you also said, and I want all listeners to hear this, very important, emotional eaters have a living problem, not an eating problem. If that can sink in, and life is very challenging right now in this time and place, and we're all evolving spiritually, and that's why I believe so many of these problems are bubbling up to uh, the surface, right? So uh, 
what would you most like people to take away with them after reading your book, Heal Your Hunger? Well, I think it's just to to really remember it's not about the food, and it can seem like the food, you know. I totally get that, but it really isn't about the food. And if you can look deeper, you know, as to what it really is, and like you said, nobody can do this alone. And, no. You know, I've, and, and I totally believe that. And one of the steps in my book is connection and community. And I really think it's important for people to have a connection with other emotional eaters who are on this path. Um, that's why I have uh, my own, you know, Facebook group for people who, it's called the HYH community, but for people who are trying to heal from this um you know there's such a sense of loneliness and isolation when people are uh emotional eaters you know we do crazy things with food i mean i used to eat out of the garbage where i would i'd binge and then i get so full i'd throw the rest of my food out and then i'd go pass out in front of the tv and then a couple hours later i'd be hungry i'd have a little bit of room left in my tummy and i'd go dig that food out that i'd thrown out well i felt so awful and embarrassed and ashamed of that behavior and i thought i was the only one no absolutely not and you know what many emotional eaters are sensitives they're people with great psychic and spiritual ability they're empaths they have gifts but they don't as a young person have the tools and so like you said some won't eat because they have anxiety some eat too much to quiet the anxiety and they are yep. not getting from their teachers and parents and the adults and, and you know uh, authority figures in their life or what they really need to understand themselves and to thrive so I want to thank you Trisha Nelson author of Heal Your Hunger for sharing your own journey of addiction to the freedom of seeing and enjoying food in a healthy joyful practical way to sustain your best way of life joy and contentment rather than feeding the fears traumas and limitations of any past events to purchase this book go to healyourhunger.com in summarizing today's episode of healing from within trisha nelson has shown us through her own journey with exploring her inner life and events of childhood how she was able to discover her reasons for emotional eating and how she was guided to find a way to feel more comfortable with herself life and create an environment of acceptance rather than fear doubt denial and pain emotional eating is the way the soul forces food down to hide or disguise the real issues that our subconscious has not been willing to face and it is only by awareness acceptance and surrendering to the beautiful aspects of ourself and life itself that we get, can begin to feel at peace and find love of life of self and of others all addictions are as we know and talked about today based on trauma or fear and the same inner discontent or fear of surviving in a world that often judges and limits ourselves from exploring our true nature as souls having a physical life Trisha wrote emotional eaters are typically afraid of feelings when we don't have food in our belly we tend to be more sensitive and more aware of what's going on inside we're more aware of sadness loneliness fear anger dread and other hard to manage feelings even happy joyful feelings which strangely are sometimes harder to face than the dark ones can be overwhelming especially when we don't feel worthy of feeling good 
to be free of emotional eating, you must address the hidden problems that cause it, the underlying pain that you use food to numb, the fears that make you want to escape, and the guilt you harbor inside that makes you believe you deserve to be punished. Trisha and I would have you employ the tools of self-awareness, self-care, and self-love to begin to empower your life and find your way past any addiction to feelings of well-being and delight with the world as it is and as you are and find that all is right for self-discovery, self-actualization, and the realization that life is a gift to be enjoyed and lived to the best of our ability. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of The Living Spirit, and invite you to visit my website to read about and listen to leaders in the metaphysical, health, educational, spiritual, scientific, and medical fields offer their insights into living well past the challenges of a physical world reality. Shows may also be heard on webtalkradio.net and dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you.